Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is session number 28, and Maggie and I are glad to be back with you today. Um, we want to we wanna finish up a little bit the conversation we were having last time, and then we want to move on to talk about the behind-the-scenes footage that was released uh, by the Rings of Power, um, uh, the Rings of Power folks, this, uh, this past week. Um, last week, that was the beginning of last week, the beginning of Thanksgiving week. Um, and we... Um, uh, Maggie and I got to talk to uh, to uh, Ramsey Avery uh, at the beginning of that, which was really fun. Um, and such a tease. I mean, we got such a short amount of time, and you yes. could tell that Ramsey was just getting into it, too, and we had to cut off. And yeah. uh, like all these things, it was just, I mean, that one was because it was so back to back. They had all of the, the fan community doing half, half hour back to back sessions. So normally they tell us half an hour and we go 45 minutes. It's not a big deal. But yeah. Yeah, we knew we couldn't this time, so we we were. I was like merciless. Like I practically had to interrupt him to be like, yeah. and that's all we have time for. Thanks very much. And then we had to go. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was but painful. You never know we could get him here. I mean, I, that's I my hope. Feeling most, yeah, most folks want to talk so much more, and we got so much more before we even started too. That you want, you want all that. So. Yeah. I hope yeah. these guys are intrigued to come and chat with us a bit longer. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's what I would... Because there's so much more... I mean, he was talking in very, like, big picture kind of general yeah. terms, right? I mean, because we knew we only had a short time, that's kind of where we wanted to go. We had to want to spend, like, the half hour that we had in, like, talking about one set, you know, on what you want. That's the kind of deep dive we I know, I know. But so, yeah, that's exactly what it would be fun to yeah. get him back to do. I would, uh, I would especially love to... Um, um, to get him to come back to talk about Numenor. So, fun story. Um, and Maggie, I was telling you about this last night. So, uh, Dave Kale, which many of you will know, my co-host from Film Film, um, was at a reception where he, uh, uh, with his wife, who's a screenwriter, and the two of them were getting to, were, were, there were a bunch of the, the Rings of Power folks there, including Ramsey Avery. Um, and he was talking, Dave was talking to Ramsey Avery uh, and was telling me about how Ramsey was telling him about when they were designing the architecture of Numenor. They were taking special care, like they were, they were, they were wanting to have the, 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 the architecture of Numenor reflect a fixation on death. And I was like, oh, man, I so want to talk about that more. <laughs> I really, really like, want to hear what that I process was like. I need an outline. I need <laughs> yes. pointers. I need circles. I need, yes. Exactly. All of that. Exactly. Yeah. No, I saw, I, I thought that was, a, that was a really fun little tidbit. Um, and it reminded me, by the way, of the, um, uh, this, <clears throat> when I was talking, when I was in uh, Prancing Pony Moot out in Milwaukee, and was hanging out uh, uh, with the legendary Chad Bornholt uh, from Texas. And Chad was, Chad is, uh, uh, it's like, he's one of the, if people don't know Chad, he's one of those people who knows everything about everything. And um, he had frozen, he was showing me a screenshot that he made. Remember the um, the the speech in the marketplace that uh, uh, Farazan was making? Farazan does. Right, and, yeah. uh, and if you, on the wall behind him, you can see there is partially obscured tengwar up on there. So like there was like an old um, uh, like inscription, big, huge inscription on the side of the wall. Um, and it's partially obscured. Like it's got like stuff hanging in front of it and stuff like they're, you know, they're, they're kind of downplaying. The modern Numenorians are downplaying the thing. And he was translating it for, it's all about the ban of the Valar. It's oh. all about the, uh, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, 
Well, it's that kind of detail that, like, we talk about world building a lot, but, like, I feel like as creators and art designers and actors, like, that level of world building in the set that you're working in is yes. just as important because they know the levels of history that are kind of woven into this creation the same way that Sophie yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, really, really fun That's stuff. So, cool. so between between that conversation that I had with Chad, when when you know we were ta- we were looking at this inscription and therefore what it suggested, not only what the inscription says, but how the inscription has clearly been treated since then and everything, um, mm-hmm. and the the bits that are obscured actually are really interesting, um, like what it looks like they probably say. So uh, uh, anyhow, so that that's that's fun, um, and and then so that combined with uh, Dave's reported. Uh, comment uh, from Ramsey at the uh, at you know when they were chatting um, yeah. about Numenorean architecture makes me really want to have him on again and do a more. deep dive about yeah. that yeah and like shot by shot scene by scene bring your drawings please yeah yes. yeah. yeah yeah well before yeah, let's we talk about the Twitter thing first, yeah 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 like... I was just gonna say the same thing yeah, before we get too uh, distracted and talking about the the behind the scenes stuff the first thing I wanted to um, I wanted, so we had been talking last time about vocabulary, right? And we were talking about how we can, um, how we can dis, you know, how we can sort of discuss these things. Lots of really interesting conversation afterwards. Like the difficulty with adaptation and just kind of the language around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the 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 suggestion. Oh, and I'm completely forgetting who made this suggestion. Um, I'll see if I can find it. See yeah. if you can find it because that'd be great. Um, yeah. Basically, it was it was a really a really good thread, um, and the idea was to basically because it was it was when we were talking about how we we kind of want something that's sort of parallel to anachronistic, uh, like you know is this you know to ask the question is this being anachronistic just as with a with a historical film, is this being anachronistic is a fair question to ask. So like, what's the parallel question, and the terminology. Um, uh, the terminology is uh, that that was suggested here was to use the word cosmos, which means world, right? Um, and so the, the term suggested was anacosmic, which mm-hmm. I think is a really, really interesting term, a really interesting... Uh, and it, it kind of goes back to, Maggie, what you were talking about, about those basic world build, building pillars, right? Like you've got the basic guidelines, you know, there, there are things that you can change, right? But does it, does it, if it's... If the adaptation is purporting to fit within the world, how successful is it being in fitting within the world, right? That, I think, is a really good way to, um, uh, is a, a, it's a really good way, a, a very, really sensible way, I think, to talk about it. So uh, how, how anacosmic is it? I think, is it? I think that's a useful piece of vocabulary. I think I'm, I, 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 I think I'm gonna adopt that one. Um, I haven't found it yet, so I'll keep scrolling um, at, at some point when you're off on a tangent that okay. I, I, I free eyeballs to look. But it was, <laughs> of course. It was just so nice when they were talking about how they came up to it, because it was, it was a woman and her husband, right? Yes. And her yes. husband's a classicist. Right. So he was using the actual like building of language to come up with this word. And I loved our analogy to music, because I think that works so well in so yes. many different ways. But also because the language of music is very familiar to most of us, that we can make that kind of comparison. It's nice to think about a fresh batch of terminology, though. You know? Like, yes. Like, using musical language is in itself an adaptation. Because right. we are taking that language from something else and using it in a new way. Yeah. It works, and it's unique, and it's cool, but it's tough sometimes you know so i love the idea of having some like fresh terminology to bring into this i definitely see a paper coming out of this yeah yeah i thought that um 
uh, I, I, I definitely thought that that worked really well. And it's a really mm. interesting way to frame. Uh, again, it, one of the things that it does, of course, uh, is it, it, as you always are uh, you know, quick to suggest it does kind of diffuse some of the purely emotional reaction, right? You know, like, and so instead of asking, like, is it true to Tolkien, right? You're, you're saying, like, well, is it, is it anacosmic or not? Like, to, to what extent is it, is it anacosmic? Does it fit in this world? Because that really is the, you know, I, and, and I think with a fill in the blanks adaptation, it's obviously a crucial question to be asking. Um, and and I wouldn't even necessarily say that a fill in the blanks adaptation that does make changes to the world is like wrong or bad necessarily. Like I think that that's it's you know there, there are adjustments that they might for they ha they might have reasons to you know to feel like they they really want to to you know to make those. Um, but of course, it's perfectly you know, it's perfectly valid to point out those differences and, and, oh. uh, you know, and to kind of, to use that as an evaluative criterion, you know, when you're looking at it to say, either to say, you know, how successful or unsuccessful you think it's been, um, or, uh, or what, I mean, it gives, it gives a concrete thing to compare and contrast with the original. And that's where it's always so challenging with a behind, with a, with a behind the scenes, I almost said, uh, with a fill in the gaps, uh, uh, adaptation is that you want to compare and contrast and say, okay. is this like sticking to the text? And you can't, there's just, you can't do direct comparison and contrast because there's nothing exactly, uh, to compare and contrast to, or very little, uh, to compare and contrast to. I think this is kind of one of the new tracks I seem to be taking. Like just today I was having a conversation about the Hobbit adaptations. We know how we all feel about this, but just the more and more I, time I get into these conversations, the more I want to completely separate the mediums, which I know I can't do. Like I talk about adaptations, that's kind of my job. But being able to look at these things as two separate mediums yeah. is such a gift unto yourself. Like give your, give yourself that gift. Right. Like let yourself enjoy those separate things. And comparison's interesting in terms of like an exercise, but it's not an evaluator, right? right? Like it just can't be used as was it good enough because it matched it exactly. I I don't want to see most of those films if it matches it exactly. And Hobbit's definitely one of them. Yeah, I mean exactly. They're 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 uh I mean I know that I mean I, I felt that a lot of the Harry Potter films really suffered <sighs> from uh too much fidelity in that sense. Too especially much, the first two. Especially yeah, the first two. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that was what felt so refreshing, I think, about The Prisoner of Azkaban when it came out, mm -hmm. um, was it did not show the same kind of slavery to the text, yeah. which just the pacing of a, of a novel is not doesn't work for a feature film yeah. in the same way. And yeah. the flexibility of the characters and their own natural interactions with each other as people could develop and... Yeah. It just made more sense rather than that super scripted, overly didactic kind of thing that they had to follow. And I think yeah. I talked about this before, but I'm pretty sure they had to do that to like keep the fan base on board, right? Like you can't take something that had that kind of following like Harry Potter and totally change it from day one or you would alienate your entire fan base. They could, they have all, every right to, but it's a real risk. So by keeping them on board, they do that for two films. They bring on everybody else that hasn't read the books but loves the films now, and then they can start making changes because they've got their audience. Like right. they are hooked, they are committed. They've right. done two films; they will stick around for an additional six. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nick says, my favorite adaptations do more to capture the emotional resonance of the text rather than the exact events, you know, sort of point. Which is point. why it's so tough, because that's so subjective from person to person. Yeah. But that really is kind of what the focus is. Like, if you can tap into that tone and tap into that that core... I don't want to just repeat emotion, but that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this is one of the reasons why my you know one of my primary like starting points you know that I've been trying to emphasize about adaptation for ten years now since I, you know, struggled my way through the Hobbit films was adaptation like an adaptation it's a different story like you must first and foremost approach it it's it is its own thing it is a separate work of art it is a separate story it is connected back to the original and it is right and appropriate to think about and be interested in its relationship to the original but it is not the original you know put into a new mode it is not the original compare it to like invention you know like we do not compare a brand new ferrari to a single horse-drawn carriage Right? Like, can mm-hmm. we can we make that comparison? Like, they're not the same thing, but we seem to want to make them the same thing. Yeah, well, I, the problem with that kind of thing is that there's the... the the, uh, the assumption of progress, right? That is, like, everyone, mm. everyone is going to sort of assume that the later one is, like, obviously the better and superior one, which is, of course, not... We can't do that. Right, not apt with with adaptations. But yeah, I, to to kind of think about it in a totally different mode like that, rather than uh, you know, even as as we were saying, even the music vocabulary is yeah. uh, is uh, um, <clears throat> is sort of uh, you know itself an adaptation. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, right? Yeah. No, yeah. I think. Um, I digress. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting to try to think of a wholly different kind of um, uh, a wholly different kind of thing. Anyway, um, but let's uh, let's go back to the behind the scenes stuff. Um, okay. So okay. Oh, I, oh, actually, and first, could we just acknowledge a couple of people have uh, mentioned it, and we should acknowledge. Yeah, we did hear about the Joseph Mall thing, which is very sad. So, for those of you who haven't heard, the the yeah, exactly. The word on the street is that Joseph Mall, uh, Adar, has been recast for season two. Joseph Mall is not going to be involved moving forward. Um, This has been known. uh, This has been known for a while. Uh, People who make it their business to find this kind of thing out. Uh, have known this for a while and uh, so we've heard confirmations from that from various you know behind the scenes sources and stuff Um, and this does not I believe mean that Adar's character is done it's some kind of Joseph Maul is out basically yeah we've we've heard been recast yeah and that's a shame because he was amazing yeah he was amazing amazing. we definitely wanted to chat more with him because the depth that he brought to that character was just incredible. And that was an unknown character, you know? Yeah. So yeah. to bring that kind of heaviness into it is just fantastic. I will say, I mean, that's a, a totally common thing is, is a being recast. None of us tend to like it because the same reason we struggle with adaptation. Don't change stuff. Don't do it. <laughs> it makes us go, err. Yeah. So if, if we've already gotten comfortable with something, especially somebody that, you know, is getting really positive reviews within the community, and then you change it, super tough. But it is just something that happens so much. And I saw his thread on Twitter tonight where he was just saying, I've been called to other projects, and 
you know, my best to the, the company of, of performers that I've worked with and all the best for season two. So, like, it looks like it was really positive. But, you know, the ones that we hear about all the time are scheduling and things like that. And then, yes, I'm bringing up Twilight, but when I was working on that, they recast the redheaded bad vampire um, from Michelle Lefebvre to Bryce Dallas Howard between the third and the, the second and the third films. And that was announced, and the whole world went nuts. Like, they were all throwing their toys out of the pram and starting petitions and just, no, don't recast her. And it ended up being that the original actress had committed herself to another shoot. Like, it's her fault. She, right. she had signed up for a different film. And she'd already signed the contract for Twilight. And they were like, no, you, you can't take that one. Like, sorry, we have to recast you if you're going to stick with that. And she gave it up. So, like... You just don't know what's going on. <laughs> Sorry, Maggie, that metaphor of uh, fans throwing their toys out of the pram is is Sorry. is, is such a perfect characterization <laughs> of this kind of internet reaction. But <laughs> that's, that's a super normal British phrase, and I'm like, mm, works really well with fandoms. It really does. <laughs> yes, it really yeah. does. Um, I spend a lot of time with a tiny human. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, autoflagellator suggests uh, an Adar regeneration scene like Doctor Who at the beginning of season two and everything's fine. Yeah. I don't know if that would be, what's, wait, what's our word? It, uh, I think that would be anacosmic, yes. I think that would be anacosmic, absolutely. Yeah, it sure would. It sure would. But um, anyway, yeah, so, I mean, it is, it is, um, certainly, it is a shame. I mean, it's, it's hard because it's, it's. It's so easy to assume that there's some kind of like dire and, uh, 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 you know, sinister reason (laughs) behind this kind of thing. But as you, I mean, as your story is just pointing out, like it is often just a really simple conflict. And I hope that's what it is because he seems to be really genuine about his own experience with it. But, you know, we're, we don't always know all the gossip, but it seems like everything's normal and they had to recast him. So it's a shame. It is a shame. What the continuity. And we loved him, but there's nothing to say that the new actor won't be equally as fantastic. I think Richard Harris and oh, I'm now I'm blanking on his name. Who played Dumbledore after he replaced him? Peter. Also blanking. Gamble. <laughs> Gamble? Michael Gambon. Michael yeah. Gambon. Okay. Um, you know, both were phenomenal, but played that role very differently, and that's quite powerful. So. Yeah. 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 We'll see. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So you know. I certainly am, am disappointed just because I so much enjoyed Joseph Maul's depiction of Adar. I think that was great. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's not that I think it's impossible for any other actor also to do a good job with that role. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's certainly a disappointment, but it's not crushing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um Anyway, just wanted to sort of acknowledge that news. Um, we can look at, there's been new cast announced. Uh, seven yeah. new cast members have been announced for season two. Um, we can, I'm not really prepared to talk about that today. I've done no more than like glance at them. There's and their I, pictures and, and as their before, I don't think I know any of them. Um, yeah. But uh, none of them are big names. A yeah. couple of them have done theater. One is a recent Rada grad. Like they're not, which I, I quite like that. You know, they're not going for big names. They're going, I hope, for look and performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, presumably one is Kierden. Kierden has been confirmed for season two. Um, I agree with Autoflagellator. I, too, am hoping that Kelleborn is among them. I'm, by the way, assuming that Kelleborn is among them. I, I can't imagine they would have brought up Kelleborn 
as they did in episode seven without planning to put him He's into bad. season two. I thought I, I wasn't assuming from the beginning of the season that he was going to be in season two. I knew he was going to come sometime or other, but I would not have been shocked if they had waited until season three or four to bring him in potentially. Um, but since they actually, she actually m- mentioned him, I think it's definitely going to be, uh, I, 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 I'm expecting him to be in season two now. Um, yeah. Putting yeah. the link in the chat so people can see the new cast if they want. Oh yeah, there you go. Thanks. Yep. So um uh Yeah, yeah. Anyhow. Um so I'm assuming I'm assuming one is Kieran well I'm I'm sure one is Kierden because he's been confirmed, Kierden the shipwright. I'm I am I also am assuming one is uh, there were like what were there like five men and two women? Is that how they that were? That sounds right. They were mostly men as I recall. Um I'm also assuming yeah, one of the too. men is going to be, um, uh, what's his name, Anarian, um, uh, Elendil's other son. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get again. We've been they they've been setting up the true Numenor, the Numenor, you know, the faithful colony out in the west. Um, that I'm assuming we're going to get Anarian uh, and the faithful Numenorians in season two. So I'm expecting Kirden. I'm expecting Celeborn. I'm expecting Anarian. Um, uh, I'm Senalisha says people have been positing Amandil. I will be shocked to the core if Amandil is used. Like, I expect him to be cut. I do. Who's Amandil? Amandil is Elendil's dad. Oh, right. Elendil's dad. Um, uh, and I, I just, I don't think they're going to use Amandil at all. Um, I, I, I think he's an extra character and I, that I don't really think is needed honestly i mean he's cool i like amandil as much as anybody but um but i just if i were doing an adaptation he would be one of the first on the cutting room floor for me for sure oh. and there's a lot of characters in this show and um, do, what does amandil do that elendil can't like i know there's the last like sail into the west and vanishing but again like i'm i i don't know i um i don't think um i don't think that uh uh I, I, I don't think it's essential. In other, I, they might do it, but I'll be surprised if Elen, if Amandil, Elendil's dad, is included. Um, uh, who oh, Of course, we also need, like, don't forget, we need a bunch more. We, we need people in the East, right? We're going out yeah. into a whole yeah, area that we've never been in before. World's coming in. Yeah, so we're going to need, especially, you know, we're going to need, like... Um, the other blue wizard who's already gone bad out in the, you know, the, the boss of the, of the, you know, the, 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 the death moth ladies. So, um, like that is going to be a thing. Um, and, um, uh, and then what else am I saying? Yeah. As Troy was saying, um, uh, as cool as it would be to see Amando, I imagine they folded his role as leader of the faithful into a Lindel. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I imagine we're going to run into some kind of other Heartfoot, right? Yeah. Think there'll be other groups? Yeah, yeah. Um, wait, sorry, what did you say? You think there's going to be other groups of Heartfoots or Heartfoot Oh, well, maybe. I mean, it's possible. So the, what I think is most likely, if there are going to be more Hobbity oh. characters, is that we might get some stores. And that is some one of the other. Uh, so there are the three proto Hobbit tribes. There's the Harfoots, the Stores, and the Falahides. So the fact that we've been introduced to the Harfoots in the first means it's possible that we could get Stores and or Falahides in later seasons. 
it's a lot though. I mean, to introduce two other totally separate Hobbit cultures would be really cool and really ambitious. Like to, I mean, because as it is, it's not like we we didn't lose very many characters in the at the end of the first season, right? We all of those characters we were following, we're still following. We lost one of them, and he was one of the Harfoots, and so, you know, like. We're still following all the Harfoots. Like they didn't bring to an end any any plot trajectory, right? It was just one of the group. So, um, you know, we we still got you know Poppy and Marigold, uh, uh, you know, and Largo and the rest of the you know Harfoots, which I, I since Poppy's there, I assume we're going to keep following them. And then we have, um, of course, obviously we've got Nori and the Stranger. So we now have the Harfoot storyline is now already doubled. It's now two storylines for us to follow uh, in the next season, uh, one way or another. So to add a third, you know, whole separate, I mean, maybe. And it could be integrated, obviously. The Harfoots could meet up with the the other ones. And so it wouldn't have to be, it could be part of their yeah. storyline to introduce a new and we don't know, And we don't know what kind of time they're going to give any of these people. So, I mean, it literally could just be this stuff by the river and there's another group as well. And they go, oh, hey, and keep walking. But Right. Or, yeah, or whatever. But yes, Nameless Arcanum, the reason I'm, I suggest the stores in particular is that, yes, the stores are the ones that Gollum comes from, eventually. But that's 1,500 years, more than 1,500 years in the future. So um, I, I, it's not needed. It would be kind of fun, but uh, uh, but anyway. So, um, okay, so 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 what? We got Anarian, Cairdan, Celeborn. Oh, the other, and we need people, at least one or two people in the East for them to go and interact with when mm-hmm. they go out there. Um, and then, uh, don't forget, we, we need, like, we need more Ringwraith candidates. Like, we don't have enough, I mean, as, as, as my... Uh, as my son Matthias was pointing out to me after we watched episode eight together, the, if you take all of the human characters put together, everyone without exception, everyone that does not have, in his phrase, absolute plot armor like a Lendil and a Sildor, we know they cannot possibly become ringwraiths. Um, uh, sorry, Shadows of War, they cannot, or Shadows of Mordor, they cannot possibly become ringwraiths. Uh, then um, the, the, the every other character, including Farazan, Muriel, everybody else, there aren't even nine of them. So, like, the, the, we need more human characters uh, in order to get our total up to nine ringwraiths, unless they're just going to do totally faceless ringwraiths, which... It's fine to have the ring or the ring raids are literally faceless, right? When they show up in the third age, like, you know, you didn't have to have name placards around their necks right. in the Fellowship of the Ring film, right? It's fine. They're all black cloaked, literally faceless ring wraiths. And so that's that's totally cool. However, um, when you're doing the origin story, when you're trying to show the people who are being tempted and corrupted by the rings yeah. of power mm-hmm. and becoming ring wraiths, it's hard to have it just be like an extra you know, who, who sort of gets that. You, you kind of have to feel like, uh, uh, like there would be, there would be some. So, uh, anyway, I'm, um, I, so yes, I, I, I'm expecting more human characters. Uh, I'm not sure where in Pilargear would be one good place. So we know that I mean, we didn't get to Pilargear, but we know that the the rest of the Numenorean uh, garrison who remained in Middle-earth alongside all the Southlanders are headed to Pelargir, and I don't know that it's necessarily deserted. There might be other people there, right? Um, so that would be one place we could get new humans who would um, also, from Pelargir, like, what's the Pelargir story going to be? 
and I have a suggestion about what the Pilar Gear story is going to be. Uh, so Pilar Gear, um, so <laughs> Maggie, let me make sure to um, not make assumptions. So Pilar Gear is a port city. So there's the, there's the big river, the Anduin, right, that flows right next to Minas, between Minas Tirith and 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 Ithilien. Um, the mouth of the great river, at the bottom, is where Pelargir is. It's a major, major port um, where it's it's like the it's it's like you know the major port city at the mouth of the river, which you know is able to do a lot of sea uh, uh, you know sea sea travel, but also uh, controls access to the river. Uh, you know, to the Great River, up up to the other cities and things. So it's it's a it's a pretty significant place in Gondor, yeah. But it's also one of the southernmost outposts of Gondor. And the Corsairs of Umbar, uh, the Corsairs of Umbar. So Umbar is the land to the south of Gondor, just to the south of Gondor. And the Corsairs of Umbar are like this pirate culture, basically. Um, who have a history of sailing up and down the coast and raiding things and stuff. And they're like a classic enemy of Gondor through all of the third age. So like setting them up as like, they're, they're, they're going to be sort of the bad guys and the local rivals of Gondor for, you know, millennia to come. Essentially, they're still involved in the war of the ring and uh, the, in, in the war of the ring, it's their ships. Uh, so you may remember in the movies, it's their ships that Aragorn seizes, right? Peter Jackson plays one of the mm -hmm. Corsairs in his cameo mm -hmm. in uh, in that film. Um, so, uh, anyhow, um, th uh, that's so. So they're still they're still an active concern uh, when it comes. And yes, you are exactly right. Sorry, who is that? I can't see your name. Terror bites. Um, Umbar is a former Numenorean colony. Yes, it, but uh, but here's the thing, Umbar was one of the places where the Black Numenorians... So it was the King's Men. It was not the Faithful. So the Gondor, Pilargir, uh, and the rest of them, those were the, 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 the northern, more, the, the more northerly ports um, were where the Faithful were congregating. But further south is where the King's Men, those who were, you know, the, the, what is in the current Numenor of the Rings of Power, the dominant Numenorian culture, that's where they were. Uh, that's where they were being based. So the rivalry between Umbar and Gondor goes all the way back to Numenorean times, basically. And you'll remember that there were references to the Corsairs on the raft. The, um, the red shirts on the raft who get at by the sea dragon at the beginning, they were worried about Corsairs. They, they, were, they thought that like, they, were, they were worried about pirates uh, coming in. Um... Uh, so, um, uh, anyhow, so we know that that's an issue in the Rings of Power, and I'm suspecting that the Pilargir storyline uh, in Season 2 may be Corsair-oriented. Like, we may be getting the Middle-Earth uh, side of that rivalry. And if we do, certainly, if we get, like, a leader of the Corsairs of Umbar or something, that is, like the highway to uh, Ringwraith Hood, basically. For sure. Um, okay. Yes. So this is a good example of me not talking about the casting decisions. Yeah. We're not even going there. Yeah. Look at that. But I do feel like all of that is still very important to set up how much backstory we've got. Yeah. Um, but I also have like been watching some of this chat and stuff, and some of this can be solved in just so many different ways, though, that it's so interesting to think about all the things that they could put into place, but the chances of us having nine of these corruption stories, obviously pretty slim, 
but there's no reason we couldn't just have like you know a shot of the nine at the end and have just one little token identify each of those nine of characters that we've known throughout the last four seasons like it doesn't have to be a giant corruption thing it could just be a reveal you know and that's one option there's 30 you yeah. know yeah yep yep yeah exactly Exactly. And of course, obviously, we've not even made the nine yet. So, you know, what is going to be happening with the making of the rest of the Rings of Power, the nine and the seven, um, not to mention the eventual forging of the one, which has not happened yet. Um, all of that stuff lies, I assume, in season two. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so so we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. But anyway, let's talk about the behind the scenes footage because we did get the pine scene so the for those of you who haven't seen it yet it's on x-ray um which means of course what you do is you watch the episodes and then any any anytime you pause it or touch the screen um or mouse over it um if you're on your laptop you mouse over it if you're on a device you touch the screen uh and the x-ray stuff pops up the x-ray general trivia which is by the way very interesting um yeah. uh, containing many interesting textual references uh, uh to tolkien um but um i i'm always a big fan of appendix e quotations in uh x-ray g- general trivia them. yeah there, there are there yeah. are some there are definitely some um so anyway um the um so that's how you that's how you access, and then you'll you'll see the link to the to the behind the scenes stuff uh, that's there uh, in X Ray. Um, there's basically like five or six minutes of behind the scenes footage per episode. Per episode, yeah. Um, I put a little link up there just to like a, a trailer of it from YouTube that was just really interesting to watch, and that cuts together some of it. Yeah. But I I, I definitely want to talk about this in a couple different ways. Like I want to talk about what we saw because I find behind the scenes production stuff fascinating and obviously my bag, but also like the whole concept of behind the scenes. Yeah. I think is really interesting, especially for this audience, because our expectation is so dang high, so high. from the Peter Jackson series. Like yeah. we have hours of additional yeah. footage and I blame them for getting me into film as many filmmakers do. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody was kind of expecting something like that. And I love these. But I want to see more of every single shot it showed us. Yeah, yeah, every. And so I'm forgetting that. Yeah. Uh, th- so it's my hope that we're gonna. I mean, I have a suspicion that they're planning a kind of progressive release of stuff, and that's what I'm certainly hoping for. Um, I would emphasize we don't know. We, yeah. we don't know the plans. We've not been told. So we don't have any inside information on what their plans are with the BTS footage. But it looks like it. You know, I mean, just in it how does this look was like shot, it. there's so many interviews with the cast sitting in director's chairs or, you know, the shot from where you just get a profile and they're talking off screen. Like, there's so yeah. many, like, well put together pieces. That you assume there's, like, at least an hour's content for each of them. Like, you'd have to cut some of that together in a unique way. And there's so many different shots of different elements. Like I was saying to you before, like just the one that they zoomed in on Arendir's chest plate and how they carved it, and then they cut away. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I want a whole episode on that. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, um, it sounds... I mean, every single one of them that I watched, I felt like I was watching a trailer. Yeah, every single one. I, and I, like... In, yeah. a, in a good way. Like a good every way. Every single one yeah. was engaging and enticing and exciting. 
but teasing and no depth. And I want more and I want more and I want more and I want more. Yes. Yes. I, I was like, yeah, this is, this is, um, <laughs> you know, like the, the, so the, the, um, you know, the marketing folks were asking me about it. Like, what did you think? And I'm like, assuming there's like eight hours, at least more of footage, eight to 24 more hours of yeah. footage coming. I love it. If this is all we're ever going to get, I hate it. But if, if, but if, if, we're, if we're getting more, I love it. Cause I mean, I, I did, I, I thought it was really interesting, but it did, it, it did, did feel like a trailer. I mean, it wasn't in any way in itself satisfying. Um, yeah you know, the desire for behind the scenes stuff. And yeah. Nor, I mean, it wasn't satisfying, but nor was it informative. Right. You know, like all of it skimmed the surface and they didn't actually show me anything of behind the scenes. They showed snippets of behind the scenes that was very intriguing, but I didn't actually get any of the depth that I've come to really respect and appreciate from every part of the journey that we've seen. You know, like yes. every conversation we had on Twitter spaces, every time we've talked to J.D. and Patrick, like the depth and commitment that these guys have to this show, that yes. behind the scenes didn't give a, that justice. You know, like we know there's more for everybody to see because we've heard it and seen it. I want to see that in this beautiful visual footage. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, just as you said with the with the breastplate, I had that reaction so many times when I was watching. You know, like there'll be there was like a moment with Galadriel's costume where they came in and they were like, and we tried to reflect this in this, you know, in this costume here. And they, we barely, like, it was on screen for, like, two seconds. Like, the actual costume that they were looking at. And yeah. we got this, like, sound bite from the costume designer that was, like, four seconds long. And then we cut to, uh, you know, cut to something else entirely, right back to yeah. the, And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And, and, the cuts, <laughs> and the cuts were so fast. And they yes. together from the one previous. So and, You'd yeah. be like on Gladwell's armor, and then you would be on the music from episode, you know, from like the end of that episode. And these two things are not connected. Yes, and that's it's why it felt like a trailer. It felt yeah. like it was like giving me lots of things to try to make me go, "Ooh, I want, ooh, yeah, ooh, can we?" Ah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was definitely my reaction to the, to this stuff. And again, so if if it's there is no question in my mind, if we never get anything further than this, then. I would almost rather them not have given it because yeah. it's yeah. it's not. However, I, I I it is my belief and assumption that we're going to get more. Um, I think well, that I hope they confirm yeah. that soon because otherwise it's like what was this a teaser for? Right. <laughs> can, Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, no, so meow. Actually, I felt that we got. I, so meow was asking, would um, behind the scenes stuff for season one now? Uh, run a risk of spoiling certain things from season two. Um, and I say no, Meow. And here, this actually is one of the things that I was noticing as I was watching through, is that within each of the the little, you know, behind-the-scenes bits that we got, they were, they were always speaking very much um, within the framework of that episode alone. This was very noticeable, for instance, when you heard them talking about Halbrand's character in episodes three, four, five. Right. Um, you'd have Charlie Vickers talking about Halbrand's character. You'd have like the director talking about Halbrand's character. And, uh, 
and there was there was never like the faintest whiff of any idea that Halbrand was anything other than what he appeared to be. That is all. It was they were all speaking with like within the context of episode four, and they did, they were not even acknowledging that anything else existed outside of outside of episode four. So so meow. I very much think that um, they could basically do that, like operate in that way, which would be a totally valid way to operate. Um, even if they wanted to keep the kind of episode by episode structure for the uh, behind the scenes footage, which I, would be, I, I you know perhaps a val- I, I think that'd be a valid way to do it. Um, well, and, and also yeah. the comment here of just like you know maybe they're waiting for things to come out because you know we got the special features so much later. I definitely see that. I think we'll probably have some bigger release at the end that encapsulates the entire series. But with all the marketing that they've kind of dripped out and all of the conversations they've opened up and permitted us to have, you would think they would want to share these elements. Like, they're kind of structured to share these parts of it. Yeah. So I, I think we will get a big dump. But if for something like this that is so high profile and biggest budget ever and, you know, production, 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 I'd expect a lot more than what we've already got. Yeah, oh, Especially for sure. Especially coming off the... the, the feast we had from Peter Jackson. Yeah. Now, does anybody remember, or can anybody look up, what was the actual timing there? When did the when did the wonderful appendices of the Peter Jackson films go? When did the extended edition with the appendices, because it was first released in the DVD form, right? Right. Now, of course, that meant something different 20 years ago than it means now, obviously. Um, but, uh, but, but as far as timing, between like when the release was did we get, did we even get the, because I, I don't remember, did we even get the appendices between films, or was it only after The Return of the King came out? Like, that was after Return of the King, but I'm waiting for somebody to tell us, because I'm sure they're Googling right now. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, now, I mean, that that doesn't necessarily uh, indicate, so... Right, the extended editions dropped after the theatrical editions, yes, but I don't think they included the appendices necessarily. Yeah, I, th- I think they did. It was with the drop of the extended editions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So the there we go. So the extended edition, which included the appendices, was released November two thousand two. Okay. Okay. So you got the theatrical release DVD in August and then the extended edition release in November, the month before The Two Towers came out. Okay. But there was always that, I remember there being that battle of do I buy the bog standard DVD as soon as it comes out or do you wait and you just end up buying both, don't you? Which I presumably, you know, was more or less the plan. Um, Okay. I mean, I think that ties into this though because that is their point. Like you think they would release a little bit to tease us and then give us the, the meat later. Right. So I certainly hope we're going to get some special features behind the scenes documentaries and things like that coming out because it looks like there's incredible content. Yep. Yeah. I, um, I, um, I, I, I can't, I, I literally cannot imagine that we're not going to get something yeah. like that. Now, obviously we're in a different world here, both in the sense that we're not doing DVD releases and this, I mean, I'm not saying they'll never, maybe they will release a DVD version someday. Um, if I don't know, but, um, but anyway, we're not in that world right now. This world is built around the, the prime video platform. Um, and of course, obviously we have a, you know, it's a, as a, as a show versus movies, as a, 
five seasons instead of like the three films and stuff. So there's obviously a lot of differences here uh, that are going to uh, affect the way they, pl you know, plan their release strategy for their material. Um, but if they were to be going on the Peter Jackson model as a basic sort of working model, then we would expect the full documentary series to drop sometime between now and the release of season two. And that really seems to me the best. And move. we don't really know when season two is coming, but we're kind of all working with the 12 to 18 month idea, question mark. But right. CBC. Yeah, of course, we don't even really know when the next series is going to drop. Um, They're still filming it. They probably don't know exactly yeah. when. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so um, we'll, um, we'll see about I that. Mean, if but. you have watched it, I'd be curious what parts got you excited. So like, if you do want to drop that into the chat, you know, what were the parts that did make you kind of stop? Yes. If we assume for the moment that those are teasers, right, that those are like trailers, basically, for the... Be what were the things, what were the elements you're most looking forward to? You know, those, those teasers most, uh, most yeah. made you look forward to. Um, I was interested to hear more from the directors. That was one of the things. To me, um, you know, I've heard a lot from the showrunners, and I've heard a lot from, like, actors and stuff, but, like, that middle piece of the episode directors was one that I, as it was, were voices that I hadn't really heard very much. I know that we've gotten some of this. Like I know that Matt uh, had Wayne Yip on his, uh, on his YouTube channel and stuff. So we've gotten a little bit, but they've, it's, it's been um, where the episode directors kind of are in this and what their contributions were to these episodes uh, is, has been for me a kind of a missing piece. I don't know if you felt that way too, Maggie, but a missing piece of my yeah. understanding. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, I think, again, we're living in a world where there's so much content out there. I think I was spoiled by the Star Wars gallery, um, right. where we got that roundtable behind the scenes conversation with the directors and the producers and the showrunners. Right. There was, what, six or eight people sitting at that table, and each person was a producer or a director of an episode. So you had this, like, really beautiful conversation about process and practicality, but also story and heart. Um, and we all just ate that up. So I, I do feel like there was that element of this creative voice behind it. That a director is hired for a series like this to execute a general vision. Yeah. They will have their own vision, but it's not like Peter Jackson where he was the right. showrunner. Right. This is somebody who's been hired to execute something that's already been decided. Yes. So there's that difference. But they're still bringing their own interpretation into this and their own kind of control over those creative choices. Yeah. So, like, having that level of, like, input is really a big deal. And I would love to hear from those people about, first of all, how they felt being chosen to do this. Yes. Is it a thing that they've always wanted to do or is it just a job? You know, just kind of, like, where they're coming at it is, is always really interesting. And even if they're just coming at it for just a job, I think, still think that's really interesting because they're coming at it with such a fresh... Yeah. Set of eyes. They're not bogged down by the weight of expectation. They're just executing, but they want to do a good job because they're successful in their creative field and like all that cool stuff. So like, yeah. I so in short, yes. I wish there had been a lot more because there's so many different parts of this that I think the director's role was really interesting. 
yes. issues like this, and we haven't really heard from them much. Yeah, for me, I'm really interested because... Uh, I'm really interested in that because it's part of the picture that I feel like I don't understand, but I find mm-hmm. really... In- I mean, again, I, I'm I'm still orienting myself in a lot of ways. Like, I have... I have I have heard you, Maggie, when you've been telling us about like how many cooks are in, exactly involved in this particular kitchen, you know, in every kind of movie product that's made, and I I kind of like I I have intellectually assented to that proposition, but I I don't like get it, like I don't really understand yet exactly what that means and what's involved with that, um, so. But uh, so, but so, so this to me is a really interesting step um, to have somebody, and and to see the to see the level of interaction, right? So you're an episode director. The story's been determined, right? Like again, you're 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 as you said, Maggie, you're being brought in to execute something that's already been conceived and planned, and yet there's obviously going to be creative input by the directors. You know, how do they so live many, in that space? So many small decisions. Yeah. How do you, uh, and then how, so how, how is their, um, you know, where can you see their fingerprints on an episode? How much, how much, if, you know, uh, one of the things that I find really interesting about this whole idea of adaptation production and there's just a film production in general, really, is the kind of collaboration that it is, the way in which the, you know, the, the artistic product emerges from the, you know, all the different collaborative efforts of so many people. And so to see that, that part of the story, right, the showrunners and the writers devise the thing and then the director comes in and now what happens? <laughs> you know, when you hand this over to the director, what do they do? How do they do it? How do they make their decisions? Um, and, and, and what and I think, I think that would be really, um, I, th- I think that'd be really fun. And again, to hear them talk with so much knowledge of Tolkien's universe, you know, it just how easily all of them are able to access the mm-hmm. lore and the content is, yeah. is continuously shocking me. So yeah. it was really refreshing to hear that, too, because, again, if you're just hired to execute something, you wouldn't expect them to have done the deep dives. But they didn't just do the deep dives. They knew the deep dives. It wasn't just right. like, oh, I've been briefed. It's like, no, I can recollect this and bring those things up really easily. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. 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 So no, I think it's I, so. So that's definitely of, of, uh, of that was my number one. That was my personal number one on the list of like stuff I would really love to see more that I felt uh-huh. kind of. And, and honestly, actually, of the things that were in those BTS bits that we got, the directorial conversations were the most substantial of all of them. Uh-huh. I felt like uh-huh. that, those they really gave the directors sort of the dominant voices in each one of those episode uh, uh, pieces, which was cool. And so that felt promising. That And I, I assume I wasn't hearing everything that they had to say about, you know, about those things. That, I mean, that's where the fresh information was, wasn't it? We didn't really get a lot of fresh information, but we yeah. did from those guys. We did from the, the directors, act, yeah. The actor stuff was nice. It was neat to hear them talk about their process, but none of it felt new. Like, we, we've heard them say that in interviews and, right. you know, re- repeat right. the same. It's not like it's fed to them, but you can tell they have a few things that they've said over and over again because they get asked sure. questions a yeah, lot. Yeah, absolutely. So. But the, yeah, from the directors, we got some fresh material. That yeah, cool. no, that was interesting. So that was, but but there were so many of those. Um, uh, there were so many of those little bits where um, people were, um, I, I, I like the breastplate, the breastplate bit, like that bit about um, 
uh, I mean, and by bit, I mean fragment, right? Like five seconds of of screen time. Um, I thought the uh, um, they actually they spent more than five seconds on this, but the indoor tank that they did the storm scene on. I was just gonna say, man, I'm okay, like, I want so more many, there. There's so many things I want to talk about. There's so many little elements, but I'm like, the one of however many minutes or hours we watched of that, the one was them dragging her horizontally across the tank instead of sinking. Never even crossed my mind. Never even crossed my mind. Of course they wouldn't take her straight down. Of course they would take her. But I shot that, I saw that shot and was like, oh my god, Nate, you're so stupid, but that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really cool. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, there were a lot of things like that. that um, uh, and again, e- each one of those... It's not just that I wanted more about, like, the tank scenes and more about the... It's like that each one of those was like a figurehead for the rest of the... You know, like, I want more on the costumes throughout. I want more on the... the, the, I want more on everything because you didn't give me anything, you know? Yeah, you gave me, like, a screenshot and... I need to know where that's from, so yeah. And fight choreography! Oh, we got to hear from the fight choreographers a little bit, and I wanted so much more on the fight choreography. That's yeah. a very that's a that's a that's an interest of mine. Um, and the training. I mean, there's so many there's so many people now that like that's the whole thing they want to get into. Like, yeah, yes. I, I fell down a rabbit hole of watching um, Jenna Reeves train for John Wick. Hours of content we have about how he trained for John Wick. I don't even care that much about those films. Right. So, like, if, if you can show me the process of a human becoming that powerful, yes. incredible elf, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, the, yeah, the, the Arondir training sequences were cool. Um, I'm talking about, like, training for it for eight months for that one shot. Very cool. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, and uh, the... Um, yeah, and the some of the um, some of the 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 uh, horseback scenes and I don't know. There's there's yeah yeah no all of I mean I, I'm just gonna end up listing like all the things that we saw glimpses of. Um, there was almost nothing. Um, I don't know. I mean everything was 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 very engaging, um, which is why again my my first reaction when when I've. Um, when I first got my first glimpse of those things, uh, those bits, I was um, I was very conflicted. I was very conflicted because I was simultaneously um, like loving and hating them, right? Uh, hating them because I'm like, this is I was I was waiting for, I was hoping for actual behind the scenes footage, right? And instead, we're getting trailers. Um, but what the trailers were revealing was all really, was all really cool. Was all really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And we just have to hope that there's there's more coming of it. So like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I got distracted by the comment in the chat, so I want to comment on that real quick. But I want to bring it back to the behind the scenes because I think there's a lot of stuff we can go into. I have seen Art of Action and it is fantastic. So I highly recommend that where they talk about production and stuff discussions. Um, I also like the VFX guys, the Corridor crew, if people are into that. They look at scenes and talk about how it's done. They do a really brief bit on Rings of Power, talking about the scale team um, and just trying to decide what was real and what was CD, but so much of it was real. So that was really interesting. And also this comment from Octoburn. We've talked a lot about this. We want to expand beyond Rings of Power, believe it or not. So <laughs> we're going to talk a lot more about this in adaptations, and we welcome 
any uh, suggestions or recommendations because there's so many things coming out right now. But ironic that you should bring that one up because I just gave a lecture on that to Signum University's foundations course. So we have a, a wonderful foundations course that Faith Acker just finished um, directing. And I did a, a class in there on the Principia adaptation. So I'm more than happy to bring that conversation here because it was like 40 minutes scratching the surface and there was so much fun conversation just in that. So I, I'll bring that class in. And, you can and uh, I have taught that book and Yay. thought a lot about that film so I would be very happy to have that conversation oh my god I'm going to see if we can get any of the cast of crew on because I would love that oh man yeah yeah fantastic um, yeah yeah let's get some of the cast and crew of the princess bride let's absolutely okay. do that yeah yeah. You said not fangirling at all. Okay. For, for sure. sure. No problem. Who, who says no? Who says no? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that would be awesome. Let's 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 totally talk. That's actually yeah. a really and, and the Princess Bride is such an interesting adaptation choice because like my primary thing when reading the book, I'm like, this is a book that should be a screenplay or like it's, you know, I mean, like it's it's not really trying to be a book. <laughs> in, in some sense um yeah so it's almost like a reverse adaptation uh the princess bride is almost um but um, i'm gonna go off on a tangent very yeah. easily already talking about this but yeah, yeah it, it's, it's it was true. really fun to dig into book versus film because they are so different and how one works and the other doesn't in different ways and different scenes and yeah 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 no, um, and so that's Princess Bride, but yeah, I mean, there's loads of stuff that we definitely want to. We're also wanting to talk about Dune. Um, that's when is the, is the next Dune movie coming out soon? It is. Yeah. Um, soon. I, I feel like it's early winter. Okay. We've seen stills. Do you know when the next Dune movie's coming out? Ah, uh, he says 2024. This is my expert. Okay, there we go. All right. So we'll check. <laughs> We'll consult there in the room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Little guest appearance. Um, yeah. And Princess Bride, yes, it was abridged by the screenwriter. It was the author himself became the screenwriter, which rarely happens. So that's yes, cool. yes, which is another thing that makes it a fascinating adaptation study. Mm-hmm. Um, it was yes, the book was abridged by a screenwriter, um, and yeah, I, I, I said it always felt like a book that wanted to be a screen play in the first place. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so bring them on. We're open to all suggestions. Okay. Yep. But I yep. feel like I'm not done talking about behind the scenes. Okay. So, so is it Neil, Neil there. says IMDb has expected November 3rd of next year for the second. Oh, okay. Film. So anyway, so we're, we're going to, we're, we're thinking of bringing on some, uh, we have some, uh, some friends at Signum here who are Dune experts. Uh, and so we're thinking of bringing them in to have some Dune conversation. Um, I really enjoyed the first film. Um, you know, we can spend some time with that. Um, yeah, we did an episode of Mythgar Movie Club on it. And I, again, just felt like it scratched the surface. So it'd be fun to dig in as we go into episode two of that. Um, Adam's Family is another one Eric just mentioned here. Oh my god, I'm pretty pumped about that. And Willow has a new series yeah. out. Yeah, actually, the story has a new series out. Santa Claus has a new series out. The Adams Family. The, when, so, can somebody explain to me? So, Wednesday, I just was watching a trailer for Wednesday. Um, uh, and uh, that's. What is the relationship between the Wednesday series and the Adams Family show? Like, is it meant to be 
continuous? Is it like a fill in the gaps thing or a sequel thing, or is it uh, is it just like a sort of? I'm trying to understand it, but I think it's a retelling. I haven't watched it yet, but I think it's a retelling. So it's a modern version of the same Wednesday Adams, right? Okay, yeah, but I, there's lots of little fan service elements in it, like Christina Ricci playing the teacher and stuff, and right, and it's Tim Burton, so it's just going to have a certain ooh about it. Right, right, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, right. A new retelling focused on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's. I, I don't know the original Adams family that well, so I. I'm. I, I have homework a assignment set. Yeah, I have a bit of a weakness there. So, if I were to do that homework assignment, where would I start? Like, what do I need to see? I mean, I just. I mean, I, I don't think you need to see the original old stuff. I think it's interesting to watch the original TV show. But that's probably my own bias because I fell deep into the Adams Family trilogy. Adams Family and Adams Family Values. There's only two. Um, the two that came out when I was a kid. Okay. And that's that's the Christina Ricci one from okay. early nineties. And okay. there's there's just two, right? I'm asking the powers that be. Maybe there's a third, but I think there's just two. Okay. So if I were to watch those films from what, 90s, you say? Early 90s? Yeah, early 90s. Early 90s. Okay, so if I were to watch those early 90s films, those would be the logical setup for mm-hmm. uh, uh, for oh, what yeah. will come. Okay. Angelica Houston, Christopher Lloyd, Christina Ricci, Joan Cusack. Like, they're so good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, I'll go back. So I, so I will know if I'm going to watch Wednesday to go back and watch those films first. And then I, was, I always, I, I always hate to watch things when there's an earlier text that I don't know, you know, so. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can't just watch the first one. The camp scene or Thanksgiving is phenomenal in the second one. <laughs> anyway, we're digressing because I feel like Wednesday's probably not highest on our totem pole. No, of it's not. To discuss. I mean, we have a whole Star Wars world potentially dig into and yes i haven't finished Andor yet either so no spoilers but yeah no i haven't uh i haven't watched it at all yet um and in fact i just recently got sucked into uh doing something i've been meaning to do for a long time which is watching the clone wars like i've i've seen Mm -hmm. some of the clone wars but i haven't seen i'm like i want to and so i've I've been thinking about that a lot i'm I'm almost at the end of season two now and thinking about the the clone wars as a fill in the gap thing and it's can somebody remind me of the chronology? Not not the in-world chronology, the real-world chronology. The Clone Wars was released. It was after the Revenge of the Sith, right? So that had already happened? I think so. Based on internal evidence that is from within the Clone Wars itself, I believe that the Revenge of the Sith had already been produced. Okay, good. That's what I would have theorized without any knowledge at all, um, because there are some clear references to what is going to happen in the revenge of the sith that i don't think they would have done had the film not been released yet um okay so um uh yeah yeah um oh man eric the 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 leap from uh the the leap from uh season one to season two of attack of the clones is amazing um uh story-wise uh, and characterization-wise, really fascinating stuff already starting to happen in season two. Um, but anyway, so I so I'm I'm kind of and then I'm, I I I I don't want to push off watching Andor too long, but because uh, um, uh, I've seen the other stuff too. But I'm 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 fascinated in uh, 
Okay, so it's three years after the after the the Revenge of the Sith uh, that Clone Wars came out. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And as I said, the internal evidence certainly certainly suggests it. Um, but um, yeah, I know. Uh, yes, Druid's Fire. That I'm also going to want to watch Rebels. That's also on my list. Yeah, <laughs> neither of them. I had not seen either of them. Well, yeah. and like I'm here for every Star Wars reiteration. They're all fantastic. But if you ask me to summarize what I've watched recently, I would struggle to do plot summaries for a lot of the spin-offs that have come out in the last couple of years. Whereas Andor, I feel like, is as tight as Rogue mm-hmm. One. You know, like, it's just so good. <laughs> and I just feel super engaged with it where I haven't with some of the others. Not that they've been bad, they just haven't compared. This this feels different yeah. and i want to do more like deep analysis as to why on it right sure sure yeah yeah that's good that's good um so yeah no i i've decided i'm i'm going through and um so i recently finished totally catching up on marvel series uh i'm now totally current i believe on marvel um oh yeah the marvel pandora's box we totally could i'm here for that we totally could um yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I'm, I'm all caught up on Marvel completely. Um, uh, liked some of the new stuff. Was really was really interested in in, in a bunch of things going on there. Um, and uh, anyway, but uh, so I so I decided recently when I when I finished that, I'm like, okay, what do I watch next while I'm doing dishes? And the answer was, it's time to catch up on Star Wars things that I haven't okay. that I haven't seen. So. Um, I've well, done most of the new Star Wars things. Like I've done. Uh, I've watched The Mandalorian. I've watched uh, uh, Boba Fett, but I hadn't. Um, I've not Andor yet. Um, but I. But and, and I'd seen all the films and everything. But I missed the. I missed the the those series. The animated series uh, were the things that I had missed. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, You've got a lot of ground to cover, Corey. I do. I do. <laughs> uh, yep. Okay. Yep. Well, we've got thirteen minutes left tonight. Is there okay. any other behind-the-scenes stuff that you think we should dig into? Well, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, again, my problem. I mean, unless people have other uh, thoughts or, or questions, but um, um, and uh, but I um, <laughs> digging in is hard because there's yeah, nothing cause to I dig into. If, yeah, I think if if we started to like talk about what we saw, it would just become a list of characters because we just saw tiny snippets of each thing for a yeah. hot second to go oh and then it was gone exactly exactly yeah. i um, hope it's a teaser yeah 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 exactly um so yeah so we'll we'll see um we'll see about that but um but yeah so let's let's make a plan do you want to do do you want to do princess bride next oh, unless sure. so so we'll say this we are. We still have. Some, we have some viewers out for possibly bringing in some more uh, special guests. Cool. And anytime we bring in special guests, we're going to interrupt whatever else we're doing to bring in special guests and stuff. Um, and if we now. get more stuff about the new cast and stuff, and want to, but there's like, to me, it feels, it feels too soon to talk about. I mean, I know they announced the casting for season two, and that's kind of fun. But for me, it feels too soon to be doing anticipation of season two. Like I'm not ready to do anticipation of season two yet. I'm I'm still processing season one, and um, that's where my mind still really is. Uh, so, and we could, I, but I. I mean, I feel like it's important for us to at least acknowledge. So I imagine you'll hear us yeah. say, "Yep, yeah. Adder was recast, and that's what happens." And here's a story I have about that. And like, right. 
That's probably the extent of what we would do in terms of like news updates and reactions. But yeah, I think there's a lot we can cover in the lull time in yeah. other fields that we get pumped about as well. Yeah. I'm tempted to say like yes to Princess Bride because it's like my ultimate comfort film, but we're also <laughs> going into Christmas season and I wonder if we should do something kind of festive. Hmm. I'm tempted to say there's uh, uh, nothing more festive than the Princess Bride, but uh, <laughs> I'm well, well, let's say Princess Bride on the short list, but I might have to think about some other, you know, like there's the new Spirited Will Ferrell, uh, Ryan Reynolds, True. and that's, you know, Dickens adaptation. They make fun of their own films in it, which is pretty great. True. Um, I mean, actually, this would be there'd be a whole lot of prep required for this, but an interesting look at adaptations, like various levels of adaptation of Charles Dickens, Christmas Carol in modern like film and TV show history would be really interesting, you know, from yeah. the, I mean, there's so Robert much Christmas Carol, Scrooged, not to mention things like the, you know, that, uh, the Doctor Who Matt Smith Christmas special that does the, the, the you know, that, th I mean, it, the ways in which it gets woven into so many different things, not only the actual adaptations of, uh, of mm -hmm. the book itself, like full, full blown adaptations of it, but the way that that gets integrated into, um, uh, other stories, like the way that other stories, take that as a kind of template, right, to mm -hmm. use. And so the way that that adaptation becomes not a primary thing, like we're not doing an adaptation, but um, becomes woven into... Um, uh, anyway, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of... There's uh, a lot there. There's a lot there. It would be... It would be, it would be that's, like a, that's like a monograph, <laughs> basically. <laughs> <laughs> we we could just choose one or two, I suppose. But um, you know, I don't know. There's something kind of cool about that, though, because it's so in the public consciousness that yeah, you don't need a lot of backstory to reference it in any other thing. So it's referenced in so many places. The number of people it. who know that story without having ever read the book is, yeah. or, or and like what people think they know about the story, and actually what people think they know about the story from just watching the adaptations. And don't realize, you know, because they've never read the book itself, um, is interesting on its on its own. Yeah. Um, well, and any opportunity to talk about Muppet Christmas Carol, I mean, I'm here oh, for yeah. it. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. Clearly, the best Christmas film out there. So <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll yeah. have a thing. We'll have a thing. But open to suggestions from folks. But I feel like, yeah, Santa Claus TV series just came out. Spirited Christmas Carol. We've got a lot. We've got a lot. We've got a lot. We've got a lot. It's true. Um, so yeah, so we can we can maybe do a uh, we can maybe do a festive one. Maybe uh, maybe our last episode before Christmas. We can do a we can do it we can do a Christmas uh, one. Um, anyway, so yeah, so we'll all this and more coming up soon on other minds and hands. Other minds and hands. Yeah, we've been talking. Uh, we've been talking for a while about sort of expanding. Um, to, I mean, obviously, we've been focused on the Rings of Power for a while. It's the big Tolkien adaptation. It's a huge, huge deal. Um, and we remain interested in that. That's something we're going to continue working on and thinking about. Um, but wow. we, uh, I, even for people who are primarily interested in Tolkien adaptations, beginning to look at other adaptations, at the very least... Thinking about adaptations and the adaptation process in a context in which you are not 
emotionally invested is so useful so useful so so let's look at some choices people made about charles dickens for something that doesn't maybe hit home as close for you right and then that will help us to continue building a vocabulary thinking through how this process works um so that we can be fortified (laughs) for the the more uh the more uh uh, hard-hitting elements. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's just tools in our tool belt. So if, if we can do some some training off-screen with something that isn't life or death stakes, like Dickens. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and then we can bring I mean, that into. Not that I don't know a couple people it. who are like huge oh, Charles sure. Dickens people <laughs> and, and really invested I mean, in that. And even, if, and even like, you know, every now and again, there's rumors about remakes of some of these things. Like they continuously talk about a remake of Goonies. They've just done a remake of A Christmas Story that I haven't watched yet. So there's even some of these things that even though it seems low risk, there's a lot of high emotion attached to these. If somebody said they were redoing Muppet Christmas Carol, I'd be like, why? It's right. It's, it's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... So a general question I'd ask here in the last five minutes. Um, When we talk about doing a remake of something, how does that how does that differ? This seems like a five minute conversation. Like, what's the relationship between? So compare and contrast adapting a book into a film and remaking an old film into a new film. On the one hand, one could say, well, it's the same thing, All right? You're in both cases. You're adapting an original. You know, you're 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 making a new uh, uh, story based on the old story. It's a little harder. My uh, my fundamental like starting point that I was just talking about before, right? That you have to remember that the adaptation is a separate story on its own that has to be judged on its own terms and also considered in relationship to the source. Um, and I th- suppose that's true of remakes as well, in a sense, of course. But it seems in one, in another sense, less true of remakes, right? That it's, it's less true that it is its own thing. Um, even the word remake suggests that you're taking the same movie, the same story, and just yeah. making that movie again, rather than I, making a new I, movie. I think, I think it's pretty rare that you're going to find somebody using that language uniformly. Yeah. So, like, if the filmmaker is saying they're remaking Footloose, for example, because that was done a few years ago, yeah, then we know they're remaking a film, you know? Right. And I think a lot of that comes down to creator terminology and expectation of audience. So if they have said it's a remake and they're calling it by the same thing, that expectation is set. That all you're doing is taking the story I know and recasting it, and that's a real risk. It's very hard for people to get on board with that because they like that movie because of what they like. Um, and I think that language is always a little bit problematic. So I think that's when you started to see more of the fluidity of terminology. So no, 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 we're not remaking it. We're modernizing it. No, 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 no. We're not remaking it. We're you know bringing it into today's world. Like there's so many different ways that they can spin right. that. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, cover, Eric said. It's a cover, it's, right. But even that, I mean, like, yeah. what does that mean? With the same instrumentation? With the same, even, I mean... It's something you might recognize, but there will be a few changes, but you might like it just as much as the original, because I do like a lot of covers, you know? So like, right. 
I guess it's a safer way to say we've changed some stuff you love, but you might love this too. Right. Yeah, it, it's... But it does seem... But am I right in thinking that it there are ways in which it's fundamentally different from an adaptation, like from a book-to-film adaptation? Like it's, I mean, obviously there are mechanical differences that when you're just, if you were to do a book to book adaptation, right? Yeah, I mean, media is different. Huh? Media is different. So media yeah, is different. So, yeah, I mean, even if you, film, film to film. even somebody who is like, I mean, even the, the first two Harry Potter films, as we were talking about, which suffered from being too slavish to the books, but like, they still have to make changes. Like they can't not make changes because it's a different medium. You're telling the story in a completely different way. Now, again, it's one of the reasons when we talk, when we say that it suffered from, um, and by the way, this would be a really good example. Um, here's another, another little mini lecture, uh, another little mini Maggie lecture. I would love, uh, here. Um, because I think that a lot of people might not see intuitively, um, how is it that a film can suffer from being too faithful to the original mm. text, right? What does like that look that. like? And how does mm. that, how does that, how does that actually happen? Like what, what do you mean? Um, and so maybe using the first two Harry Potter films as an illustration to sort of show what kind of problems does a film get into if it is trying, if it is too slavish in its, uh, in its connection to the original text. I would love to learn more about that. I have, there's, I mean, I feel like I can see it in some ways, but I'm, I would love to learn more from you about that. Well, it, I, I would love to talk about it because it's definitely one of my favorite things, but it's also like there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. It's just an interesting discussion. So like, you know, Tamara 3462, I love the first two Harry Potter films. It's great. There's no reason you shouldn't love the first two Harry Potter films. They were just way closer to the text, and sometimes that is a strength, and sometimes that is a weakness, but sometimes that is completely subjective when you're watching it. Um, but there's definitely a discussion to be had there about the slavishness to a text. And when you're taking a book to a film, there's so many decisions about that media, about how to present that visually, that every single one of them is subjective, and that's really difficult. When you're taking a film to a film, you have preconceptions visually yes. that people are expecting. So like the one I keep going back to is Little Women. I loved the 1994 Little Women and I love the Greta Gerwig Little Women. And that I feel like is almost a like creative reinterpretation. Like I'm watching Greta Gerwig's Little Women. It's hers, it's her vision. Right. So like that's easier to digest as a fan, I think, because you can tell yourself that's one person's vision. So it can't be wrong right. because I'm watching her version. When you're taking something like Footloose, I don't know who directed that. I can't remember. And you're bringing that into a modern version. That's not somebody's vision. Right. That's a money grab to most people, you know? So, like, how are you going to reinterpret that? And how are you going to revisualize that when the expectation is X? Right. Of course, one could also, in this same context, talk about the um, the Disney films, the live-action Disney films totally. right totally. um yeah. the relationship between those films and their originals it's not exactly an adaptation though there is in a sense a, a it's not exactly a medium change but it's almost a medium change actually it kind of is a medium change from animation to live action medium change. Yeah, because you are limited by what real world can do but there's really a, a an expectation from the audience on that because you can't change it too much we want beauty and the beast right so how are you going to make that better what what's what's the point of this being different? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 
yeah, where do differences lie? What kinds of patterns in decision making do we see, and things like that? So now it's it's um, it's it's interesting, I think, to to mm-hmm. kind of um, look at some of these, just to kind of, I don't know. I mean, as as everybody can see, I'm trying to kind of like probe the boundaries and sort of build vocabulary here. Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to to know better how to talk about these things and to understand better. Um, the kinds of decisions that go in. And if we look at different, um, if we look at different, uh, um, different examples of how this is being done and therefore looking at some of the different kinds of decisions, um, the, both the different kinds of decisions that are being made and then some examples of how those decisions are being made that, uh, you know, we think are successful, that we think are less successful or whatever. Um, uh, there's, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, Mrs. Manrique, I agree. The Lion King is a fascinating example, isn't it? Because it's like we're going to go from one form of animation to another form of animation, essentially. Mm. Right. Which is but also. They it, yeah. They did it with Jungle Book, though. You know, we went from animation to live action animation. Though that one is by far the most. And I've not seen all of the live action Disney reproductions. Um I've seen some of them. I didn't see the the Lion King one, um, but I've seen some of them. Beauty and the Beast, and but the Jungle Book one was totally different. I mean, yeah. totally different. Like they made massive changes to the story from the animated version. Mm-hmm. It is closer to the Rudyard Kipling, um, not identical to the Rudyard Kipling, but it was closer to the Rudyard Kipling than. Um, uh, not only closer than the animated version was, which you'd almost have to be, um, but it was uh, it was it was closer to that than to the animated ones in some mm-hmm. ways. So, uh, yeah. And that just makes me think of Charlie the Chocolate Factory. See, there's so many that it's like yeah, yeah. The original one, uh, whenever that was, 60s, 70s, the Eraldo family hated that because it was so different and it was such a departure from his vision. And then the more modern one with Johnny Depp wasn't as well received because the fans had already followed the original film but the more modern one was way closer to way the closer original to the original vision, and the family was so happy with that adaptation it's like who are you slave to and and that's when i think i, I like things like the greta growing you know interpretation because it's like i'm slave to my own vision that's it just right. my own vision right um and i think where some of the freedom comes in with something like rings of power because we do have this expectation we have to be I'm going to remember it. Mono, monocosmic. Oh, anacosmic means to be, we we don't have the positive version, which is, is, what is the opposite of, I mean, cosmic, I guess, but that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Harmonic. Exactly. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be harmonic with the world that you're in, but you have so many opportunities for freedom and creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, now we're starting all sorts of new tangents, and it's eleven or three. Right? Yeah, we should stop. <laughs> we're going we're going to an end here, but um, yes. Um, so maybe I'll, Princess Bride next week. Maybe Princess Bride we'll, next week, and we'll have a think about Dune is definitely going to be soon. Um, Dune is definitely we'll soon. Yeah, as soon as we can get our guests together for that, and then again, and we may interrupt at any time Christmas. with a special Rings of Power guest or uh, someone else. We'll see, uh, you know, yeah, if we can get Mandy Patinkin, then maybe we'll, you know, we'll do, we'll do that whenever we can. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm just imagining the Zoom call here, right, with you and me and Carrie Ellis and Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, what was that? um, Oh, there was a show that was done during lockdown where they had all those guys on. They did the Lord of the Rings one. 
Um, but yeah, it's just seeing everybody on one screen was just heaven. But I promised I would keep it together for the actual conversation. But the second the cameras cut out, I would just leave my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That was great. Awesome stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, that's what it was. Reunited Apart. That was the name of the series. Reunited yeah. Apart. Oh, yeah. Great. <sighs> All right, gang. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Um, so yeah, we'll do probably probably uh, Princess Bride next week, which would be which would be a really fun discussion. Um, yeah. So we're we're a little bit, as you can tell, we're 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 a little bit sort of loose with our schedule here because there's a lot of things that are hard to predict. Which we're working on getting guests, and that always makes things. It's so. I don't want to. I don't want to promise people like a really clear like this is what exactly what we're we're going to be doing for the next you know ten episodes, uh, because then we might have to change that. Um, but um, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, Edith, I will not fight you. That is me neither, Edith. I totally agree, one hundred percent. The 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 Princess Bride is one of the classic examples that I would it would be number one on my list of to illustrate. Um, one where the film adaptation is better than the book. No question. No question. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. Next week. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, everybody. Uh, great seeing you guys as always. Thanks, Maggie. And we yeah. will talk again next week. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye now.